Hello and welcome, dear listener, to another edition of the Odd Job Pod. We're uh, coming to you not from remote Scotland, uh, but coming to you from remote uh, no, Surrey, plus uh, some part of Sussex and, and somewhere in the middle of uh, a very populated city in Australia as well. Uh, thrilling cities, if you will, uh, which is obviously something that long-time listeners will know that we have a, a penchant for on the Bond podcast. Uh, yes, we have now uh, officially reached a point in the Craigs of Skyfall. And uh, this will be an interesting one because I know a lot of people have some very strong opinions on Skyfall, very positive. Uh, do the rest of the pod? I don't know. Uh, so we'll ask them uh, over the course of this pod. And of course, this pod is uh, Graham Sibley. Hello, Graham. Hello, Gary. And Terry DeFellin. Hello, Terry. Hello, Gary. Hello. So we, we're coming into Skyfall. This is the one where I think, you know, a lot of people will be going, good, I can't wait for a very, very good, exciting, uh, you know, hyping up the, in the way that the only odd job pod can uh, for a bond uh, for a bond outing, especially given how beloved it is. Um, so we we feeling hot. Terry, are you feeling hyped for this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been looking forward to doing Skyfall for a, a, a long time. Um, it's it's it has been um, in the past my favourite Daniel Craig film. Um, although interestingly, um, I think I might have to downgrade that opinion, having last rewatched it um, for for you know for reasons that I mean I don't know. This is I always find these podcasts to be something of a process, mm. and and I and I have in the past you know with with some exceptions. Um, um, entered into a podcast and emerged with a, from a podcast with a slightly different opinion, um, and 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 because of of the the process that we go through when we do these things, uh, and that may well be happening. I think with Skyfall. I mean, there are some Bond films for which they are utterly immutable, and I think we all know which one we're talking about. Um, where I am a unashamed, dare I say, paid propagandist for, but Skyfall is not one of them. Um, and uh, yes, I'm in the I'm in the in the pay of Big Bond. <laughs> big Bond pays me. Big Big Bond pays me to propagandize Moonraker, uh, but not Skyfall. So I can give you my own opinion for that. Big Bond. I mean, that almost essentially sounds like something that you'd find down B and Q. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't mess with it, Graham. Um, we, how? I'll get. I'll. I'll you know, let, let's get the hype out of the way. Were you hyped coming into this and you suitably hyped as we uh, we start discussing it in more detail than probably the internet ever needs to get on Skyfall? Well, I, I, I watched this film quite a lot. So this, this is probably my wife's favourite uh, Bond film. So whenever we, we get to a point where we're watching, a, sitting down and watching a Bond film together, she will always gravitate towards the uh, the Daniel Craig films and and this is this is her favorite one so we watched I I, I guess it won't go probably I, I won't go probably about a year without watching it I suppose so it feels like that anyway so so I rewatched it last night and uh, and it was very very familiar ground so I when I was doing the rewatch a lot of the times when I'm doing a rewatch even though they're films I'm really familiar with I will have a feeling that Maybe there'll be something else I'll take differently from it this time, because I, I when I'm when I'm preparing for a pod, I, I watch it with a little bit more of an analytic eye, or there'll be things on there that I want to pay closer attention to. So this time it was more 
a question of of looking at uh, uh, Judy Dench's role in this. Uh, so looking at the whole thing of M and the relationship there. Um, but also just just trying to just just watch it in a in a almost a neutral way. I mean, I suppose I, I, I'm so familiar with this film. I call I kind of let it wash over me now. It's the sort of thing that I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of waiting for for the bits and there and there are some sumptuous bits in this film. There are some scenes in there that are absolutely gorgeous. Um, on that that deserve to be on on the highlights package of of, of Bond films, all time Bond films. So uh, yeah, I can't wait to start talking about this because there, there, there's lots of things that that I think we can all bring because this is so familiar to all of us, really. Yeah, it, it's a. I mean, and again, we're obviously getting into recency era, so we can all remember as well going to the cinema on this one, and it doesn't seem, still doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, it's only just over a, a decade ago, and uh, I think believe we we almost certainly would have done a podcast. We did a podcast did. immediately afterwards, and we're probably going God, best Bond film ever, which is what we normally say after every single podcast. But um, Terry, let's set the scene for actually where Skyfall comes in, and and it's an interesting time in bond because you've you've had a quite a bit of a gap actually between quantum of solace which wasn't greatly received in that time um mgm has gone in and out of bankruptcy as well and i wouldn't necessarily say there was questions over you know the viability of the franchise like potentially there was in that the big hiatus uh before pierce brosnan took took over but it, it certainly it needed a, a hit again after quantum of solace and it needed a lot of big numbers behind it as well after given given the the financial strife that mgm had been in um probably fair to say there was a, a reasonable amount riding on this picture yeah i think there was a lot of pressure on this and uh, which i think um makes the decision <clears throat> to um to make it the way that they made it quite a bold one um because i think visually it's 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 quite a departure and perhaps tonally as well it's quite a departure as well um uh, from 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 previous films perhaps not but it 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 also it has that kind of james bond ludicrousness about it um that you perhaps have been not so encouraged in the previous two films there's some spectacular spe- i mean it, i often refer to the fact that you know you know uh, silver genuinely tries to kill james bond by by hitting him with a tube train which is is you know full-on James Bond nonsense. I mean, that really is that we're talking, we're in the mid-70s Roger Moore nonsense era for that. Um, it doesn't, like, tonally, it doesn't seem quite like that, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it is. It's really, really, it's, it's high, high caper stuff. Um, but, it, it, but yeah, it, it's because, um, the, obviously they had the writer's strike, which was the problem for Quantum of Solace, so it was not a well-received film. And then you've got Strife, frankly, from from MGM um, that, that's imperiling the that's imperiling the franchise to an extent, um, and, and then we set up what appears to be a pattern of, of of for James Bond films is that there's so much riding on these movies that it takes them forever <laughs> to, to to make them because there's just so much riding on them, and I think actually we could draw parallels with right now. I think I think that that, that the, the franchise is at a point where they're wondering what to do next because they're worried that if they make the wrong choices that that it could not end the franchise but it could certainly you know affect you know eon and mgm and, and would you know and 
and and and have a, a damaging effect. So it, it's James Bond has become very much like the, the movies have become like the character in that they, you know they take they're taking massive risks um, for big rewards, but also massive ma- massive consequences. You know, they're a, it's a high rolling franchise by that point. But you know what? You know, in terms of budget, they really put the kitchen sink into it, don't you? You know, you can see where the money's gone, and it is a visually stunning piece of cinema. It really is. Mm, I mean, I think won an Oscar for the cinematography uh, on this one, which is is justifiably deserved. It is a, it is if nothing else, even if the film itself was not very good, you could just sit back and drink in the cinematography. Fortunately, the film is is I would say pretty good um, as well. We'll get into that into a bit. Um, but Graham, the other very interesting element that was always going to raise a lot of intrigue in this was um, Sam Mendes as director. Uh, and again, not what you would call a typical Bond director either. No. Um, and as a result, we don't really get a typical Bond film. He brings his, uh, uh, as well, he brings the people that he likes to work with as well, which which also makes this a little bit different. Um, so we don't get the David Arnold soundtrack. We get bits of David Arnold in there because they don't bother re-recording the James Bond theme because you can't really do much better than the, the than his version of it. Um, but the whole feel of it is slightly different. So he obviously puts his mark down on here. Um, but there's also an expansion there. You've got so Sam, Sam Mendes comes in and, and does Sam Mendes stuff. That's great, but there's also an expansion of the of the extra cast as well. So we we get we get Money Penny, we get um, uh, we get Q as well. So and who we're going to obviously going to expand upon <clears throat> as as we go through through this discussion. Um, uh, so you it that helps with the different feel to it as well. That 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 you've got, and, and of course you've got the transition of M's. So you've got we're going from one M to another, which we, we've never seen before. We've never seen a handover before in there. Um, so it, that that that's that's all quite quite new. And so there is there there are different things in this film, and I think it's partly it's down to Mendes's directing, which is which is a a, a completely di- a different tone to to uh, to other people, but also as well they they are there is a definite shift in the way that they're telling the stories in this um not entirely new there are there, well, every time I, I was thinking about saying oh yeah they they don't usually do this in bond films but you can usually think of something where they've done something quite similar like when, when i was watching the uh opening sequence obviously the 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 chase in istanbul and it's it's different from other pre-credit sequence because you you've got the whole interaction there between M money penny uh bond tanner as well they're all they're all involved going in on the comms and and uh, throughout out the streets which is kind of like the opening sequence of uh the world is not enough where you've got bond who is actually in communication with it, with the, with the control room while he's going through the the, the hijinks and, uh, and and drama, um, but in this way, in this bit, it's integral to the actual story, isn't it? I don't know. In 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 the world is not enough. They they they. It's all about the MacGuffin, isn't it? In there, but in in this one, 
the bond has to be shot and it has to be under M's orders as well. So it also gives us a, a little hint of a scene at the end where you see Bond tending to someone who's bleeding out, um, which I think is a really nice tie-in. And I think, I don't know if that was that's something that the, the screen writers had, had, had insisted on building in there or that was something that the director, because obviously there's, there, there is, there is way you, the ways you're going to shoot that scene, aren't there? Um, but yeah, cinematography was lovely in there as well. But I'm sure that's because he probably brought his own cinematographer. Yeah, and it it does, Terry. I mean, it has a a very confident opening, let, shall we say? Um, and again, we talk a lot about Bond, knowing where it's going from the opening, with particularly the exception of Die Another Day, which also had a bit of bit of cons within there. But there's, yeah, the opening of this feels supremely confident but also to me very, very familiar because you've got a lot of action going on in there, which we like, but you've also got a little bit of, as we've alluded to already, that little bit of almost very bit of tiny bit of Roger era creeping in. What's happening now? He appears to be on the roof of the Grand Bazaar. <laughs> the components are the same, but yeah, the, the, the tuning is the tuning of the engine is somewhat different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 an audacious start to the film, and is in and yes, as we well, as this is the golden rule. It tells you, it's telling you what kind of James Bond movie this is going to be. Uh, I say, yeah, look, you know, we we we're gonna we're gonna have a bike chase over the top of the Beck Grand Bazaar. That's how much we're in on this film. Um, and so, so and that must have taken some doing. <laughs> and if I remember rightly, they had to pay to have the roof reinforced and stuff like that. I mean. You know, after times you get around these things and saying, oh, well, if you need any work done, then we can do that for you. We'll pay for that. No problem. And I say, like, OK, fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting corruption, but I'm just saying, you know, that they can, you know, they say, well, actually, you know what? The roof over here needs fixing. If you don't mind taking care of that, that'll be great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and uh, I, I mean, also bearing in mind that, that Craig is now three movies into the role and is by now, you know, fully in control of, of the character. Um, and so it has that confidence there. But I think that the uh, presence of Naomi Harris really lends an awful lot to this to this movie. Um, kind of reminiscent of the opening, not the cold open, obviously, but the opening of Casino Royale, where Bond is, to be fair, rookie Bond. And then he's there with with, with another kind of rookie or junior officer. And they're trying to, you know, try, trying to... to, to, to get that assassin rooted out as peacefully as possible and there's a similar sort of like relationship dynamic going on there for a little bit um bond a lot more experienced naomi harris clearly not necessarily that experienced but very very competent though of course quite differently um and and um up to a point <laughs> when she shoots the wrong guy but you know uh, i i quite enjoyed that exchange uh, and it was a really interesting and thrilling check. But even on the, the the train fight at the beginning of that film is has got you know with it's it's got its absurd elements to it, hasn't it? You know, and and I never really thought that uh, sort of what's the name of the company that um, anyway it doesn't matter. <laughs> JCB style machines being used in a James Bond film is is always fun, but being used on a train is even more fun. Uh, you know, and he, and it's you know it, there's there there is that Craig it does pull off those kind of humorous sort of like uh, comedic action sequences quite well, in my opinion, even though he can also be, such as his range, you know, one of the more fearsome and intimidating Bonds. 
I mean, he does bring humour to it, and we see this in that in that opening sequence, in that cold open of the film. It, it's a, such a fascinating bit because I, you know, when when we talk about what you find this time in Graham, for me, a lot of what I found surprised me because I've always remembered Skyfall as being a um, particularly downbeat film, um, but. It's got a it, it's got a surprising amount of humour in, and actually, it makes a, a lot of what I saw in here made Spectre make an awful lot more sense. Actually, in terms of reminding myself, you know, as, as Terry said, you you know, you've got almost the absurdity, but it's played so straight down the line all the way through, even when we get to the end, you know, the end sequence, the coda, the the, the siege of Skyfall. There's such an absurdity to that, but um. Yeah, in lesser hands, this whole film could have probably been nothing short of a tonal disaster. And yet they, there's, they've trod the fine line between very gritty, downbeat Bond, whilst also bringing in a love of, of some of the more absurd elements that had, had definitely been missing in the first two, um, in the first two entries into the Craig Cannon. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think you, you you just see the way that the uh, and that's the balance of that in the in the opening in the opening sequence it, it, is the fact that you it builds you up all the way through, and yet the, that end of that sequence has Bond being shot and presumed dead because he falls very very long. Well, a, a, an obvious dummy falls a long way off the bridge and down into this torrent of a river, and then and then. Uh, Q Adele um, so uh, but you're right it has got that whole sort of like fighting on top of the train which is always good for good fun always good fun whenever you see see Bond fighting on top of a train you know you're watching a good film I don't think there's there's ever been a bad one train fights are great train fights on top of the trains even better um, <laughs> and this this one is it's only just slightly better than than Roger's one in in Octopussy. I'm, I'm sure we can debate that long and hard, but maybe we should do that another time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like hand, handy chains just lying around on, on tops of uh, on tops of trains. They're, they're, they're always, always good. Never ever question that. Um, but you you are almost led into thinking that that that, that well, Bond will win because he always does. Um, the, he always gets out of these scrapes, and the fact that he doesn't, he just gets blown away. It's very difficult to watch that for. Like the, the the twentieth time and try to get how I f- guessed how I felt felt when I first saw it, um, but it's obviously it, it leads you in there, um, but th- yeah, that a lot of that is done with with the way that that Craig approaches the role, the way that he can go into action scenes and the way that he can um, also do the comedic stuff. Yes, he's just been shot, but he's he's readjusting his his cuffs as he as he steps onto the the, the train that that is falling apart. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Of course, that's what you want to see. Um, you don't often see see Bond getting shot though, do you? And that's that's a, another thing. And he, but uh, that's that's obviously a very important because it's integral because we're going to come back to that. He's got to pull that bullet out at some point in another dark scene. This, and I think this this is this is it because you, you're getting elements of of lots of different films from the time there. I think in in this um, in Skyfall you've got like a bit of Christopher Nolan's Batman is in there. The little flavours of that are coming in there. Um, so this is the measure. This is what we talk about, obviously, a lot on the action movie Landfill. But um, 
uh, but in an earlier era. And now you've got it in the more contemporary era, sort of the the sort of peak superhero type. And where is Bond sitting in there? <laughs> There's a lot of reflection as far as that's concerned in this, because I think they've all, always said where is Bond now in the, in the years after the end of the Cold War. Um, uh, but you've got... Um, yeah, so you've got the darkness of, of of that, but you've also got the... Um, there's also elements of Harry Potter in this as well. And go on. <laughs> well, there are. I mean, the, the Harry Potter franchise huge in the early in the early two uh, to mid two thousands, wasn't it? Really, and so you've got. But you know, the, it ends up a, a, a very pretty much a smaller version of Hogwarts, um, where the, the the final scene, the, the the final scene at Skyfall is, is basically it's you know, the magic there is literally smoke and mirrors, but you know, it's it's it, it's magic nonetheless. Um, but yeah, the whole running around London, the 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 it it does oak panelled rooms. It, it is all about that sort of feel and 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 look and feel about it. So you've you've tried to mix together. Imagine Harry Potter and Dark Knight Rises mixed together, and you sort of get Skyfall. I think that is not a combination I'd previously considered. And also, if somebody had pitched that to me, I'd have probably gone, dear God, this sounds dreadful. And yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and it does work. Um, And Terry, let's just stick on the action for a minute, because, you know, part of why we do this is we love the action. And the action in this film, I think, is absolutely superb. The the fight in Shanghai, for example, um, is, to me, one of the high points of the Bond franchise action moments. It's short, but my gosh, there's... It's good. You've got it. Yeah. As we mentioned, you've got tube trains being blown, used as weapons. You've got, um, you know, you've you've got obviously the, the end bit in Skyfall will, will come to. But you've got a lot of good action. So even if you just came for this, you didn't necessarily come for the downbeat grittiness. You just came for the action. You would not come away disappointed from this film at all. No, I wanted to talk about the. I'm glad you mentioned the, the Shanghai fight because I love the Shanghai fight, but it is a piece of art. It, it's, yeah. it's, it, it is, it stands alone just simply as a, it's a little vignette that sits in the movie. It's purely, it's with the, with the, with the, with the jellyfish background going on, the silhouettes, you know, and the, and the high energy music, which works. I've got opinions on Thomas Newman's soundtrack. I hope I get the opportunity to express them a little later. But they, but they, it really works in, in in this moment. But it is almost a standalone moment, and you could you could you could hang that in the Louvre, as far as I'm concerned. It was it was beautiful. To what extent it was thrilling, I don't know. It's difficult to do. You have to take yourself back to when you first saw it and try and remember how you felt at the time, because obviously once you've seen it you know, a few times, as many times as we have, you learn to appreciate it um, rather than necessarily get caught up in the narrative um, of the film. But I love watching that moment. It's one of the high points of the film. Mm. No, I do as well. It, it, is, it, it is visually so striking. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the fight, because you can't see who's who in the fight as well, which is, it is something that, you, that, that takes you back a bit because it doesn't really matter who is who it's because it, it it's such a uh a, an e- a fight of equals isn't it it's because the, the and and the and the and the the gun flashes that go off in the middle of it as well that that suddenly you you can see who's who um yeah breathtaking and i think at the end of it as well when the camera moves in and then tips over the edge um of the of the of the open window now and and then you see 
the the assailant is is hanging by one hand. Really, really good because it, it drags you. It, it it takes you from it being sort of a, a piece of artwork into this is actually part of the story. This is this is part of the film, and you've got to come back into it now. Really, really well done. Now, that's well, Sam Mendes, obviously. I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't think that was left to the second unit guy to do. That. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the second unit guy did a fine job. To be oh, fair. Yeah, yeah, um, but, well, yeah so, totally. But yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it, 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 the, Sam Mendes is. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, frame composition, his maison scene, if I dare use such a uppity word, is is sensational in this film. And as a Wes Anderson fan, I appreciate it even more. But his use of symmetry throughout the course of this film mm. is 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 really good, really effective. Um, and and he's and I think he's probably telling you something. And it's also because then when he when we go into the third act and then we go into the sort of like more organic, natural, more chaotic climax to this film and, and and backdrop to the climax of this film he abandons all of that and we have rolling the rolling um uh, vista the glory that is the scottish highlands mm. um, and the magnificent photography that uh, that 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 rescues that scene in my opinion but perhaps we'll get get to that a little bit later no that and, and that but, that symmetry yeah. is allowed to like run away in those huge sets on pinewood isn't it yeah. Uh, all yeah. of those, all of those, those big room scenes uh, are just yes. work so well because because they've got the space to 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 really work with there, haven't they? And he clearly loves it too. I mean, yeah. this is clearly that this is a perfect opportunity to do. I mean, this is why I had that, so I'm only half joking when I say Wes Anderson should direct a James Bond. Film. No, yeah. but you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it would have to be. He'd have to make. You know, I wouldn't be. It would be a James Bond film rather than the Wes Anderson film, but. You know, I mean, it, and it shows how flexible the franchise can be when it wants to be. Mm. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm sure Timothy Chalamet is on the list for next Bond. He's somewhere. <laughs> there is, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually now want to go and watch Grand Budapest Hotel again because that one is is, is a magnificent film and uh, it's probably the closest I think we'll ever get to Wes Anderson doing a, a James Bond film as well. Um with a bit of bit of caper in there as well, um, but yeah, I think what you see in here in, in visually as well, and and you know, I could do an entire podcast on just the the mise en scène, the, the cinematography, everything. It is just such a gorgeous, brilliantly constructed film, and and I think it's interesting as well with the art is, is that people. This is probably one of the first times really people have looked at Bond and gone, uh, it's actually in the hands of the right director. It can be more than just a you know a, a kind of formulaic uh, and franchise action flick now obviously we we know that having you know looking back at things like from Russian with love and on her majesty's secret service which i think have more than enough um to to justify some of the art elements in there but this is probably the first time a, a more modern audience has gone oh okay this is uh, this is interesting um and I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit, Graham, because I think there's other interesting things in here. While this is clearly a, a Sam Mendes movie, um, I, you know, doing a fair bit of reading up on this beforehand. There, it was interesting. One of the sources which was cited a few times that I'd seen in interviews. It's interesting we talk martial arts as well, because I think there's a nice segue into there. Man with the Golden Gun. Um, and they had quite clearly read the Fleming novel, Man with the Golden Gun. It, they certainly had um, the the opening the opening act is pretty much that story. Now it, it's a, that's interesting because 
they had used that a, a bit for um for die another day um but they've they've taken elements out of the the uh, of the man with the golden gun the first half of the of, of the man with the golden gun and used it in two different ways um uh, if if you've not read um the novel uh it starts off immediately after you only live twice uh where bond is suspected to be dead but in this story bond is actually captured by uh the russians He's brainwashed and sent back to England a broken man. He's actually been brainwashed to kill M. Um, and in the story, he actually gets into to M's office and uh, and tries to, to kill M by spraying cyanide at him. Um, but a perspex sheet, uh, screen comes down between the two, saving M. Now, this perspex screen has been used in... Die another day when M debriefs um, debriefs Bond after coming back from being brain well, well suspectedly uh, tortured and and whatever um, by the uh, North Koreans. It's also used in this film with Silver and M in in that discussion behind the the, the, the perfect the, the perspex screen, and I'm sure that is not. A, a coincidence that is something deliberate by by the writers there to to build up the, this this sense of someone who has been betrayed by by M, um, but also as well you've got the the story in uh, Man with the Golden Gun of Bond being sent out to to uh, a dangerous mission when he's not ready and when M knows he's not ready and will likely die on this mission. So it, it all of that is taken from Man with the Golden Gun and it's it's. It, I, I think it's it's a very interesting way of looking at it, and um, but the thing is with with Man with Golden Gun is it's been taken apart so much because you've also got elements of License to Kill, which are, are also the second half of of the uh, Man with the Golden Gun novel, um, which for a novel that was published in its first draft, uh, completely yeah. un, un unpolished, um, without hardly hardly any of the of the the depth and and, and interest that that Fleming would normally put in at the second draft stage um is is amazing that it's been used so much for but I think it's because it's it takes Bond at a very, very interesting point. A, a vulnerable Bond, an extremely vulnerable Bond, a brainwashed Bond. Um and, and so I think that's why screenwriters especially would want to go back and pick bits of it. It's 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 a wonder really that the actual film Man with the Golden Gun was a complete pile of garbage, really. Yeah, it is. Oh, oh and I mean, it's interesting because I mean, you drew those uh, Man of the Golden Gun comparisons, uh, and and I drew similar comparisons. But well, in so far as I drew comparisons with Man of the Golden Gun, because I took the afternoon off to watch this film. I didn't. I took the afternoon off sick, but I so I thought, well, I'll watch Skyfall then, um, and uh, and then I immediately. Um, went and switched on Man with the Golden Gun afterwards because I just felt that there were some similarities going on in this movie that I wanted to explore. I have to say, Man with the Golden Gun is just 
gets worse every time I watch it. I'm really sorry. Um, but but anyway, that's that 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 aside. I love I love that. I think the the perspex screen also represents an interesting uh, dynamic, uh, the interesting relationship between Bond and M, and that's one of closeness and yet separation. Yeah. Um. And 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 and, it, and it's it, it, and I don't know whether or not that that was what Fleming intended, but I feel certain that that is what what the scriptwriters of the where this 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 has been used have uh, thought about. There's a remarkable closeness between Bond and 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 and, and M, um, and yet because of the nature of their relationship, because Bond implicitly understands that part of M's job is to send him out to die. Now, in this instance, I think you can make an argument that M was being negligent in this instance, but every time she sends, he or she sends but James Bond out on a mission, there is an expectation that, 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 he, could, that he could die. And so that prevents that a, 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 a familial closeness. And yet, in many ways, this film is about that. This film is about family. It's about family that you, you know, and, and family ties and family obligations. And I'm not just talking about Bond's immediate blood family. I'm talking about his, 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 probably his actual family, um, of which M is, is, is a part of. And obviously in the final moments of the film, we understand that the relationship that he had and the feelings that he had towards her, you know, all too clearly. Um, but it's really interesting. Just if I may, the, the novel Man with the Golden Gun, I'm just reflecting on your words, Graham, it is an astonishing, I mean, we're all writers here, mm. or none of us are in Fleming's class, but we're all writers here. It is an astonishing piece of work that, that, that a first draft, an early draft of that film could be so enduring and so utterly readable. I mean, if listeners have not mm. read Man with the Golden Gun, then I urge you to. It is not an unfinished work. It is, mm. it is a complete work. But I think that the, the, that lack of additional flourish, that lack of additional detail and attention that Fleming would put in benefits the novel because it's raw and because it, it suits perfectly Bond's situation because he is in a raw state he's in an mm. incredibly vulnerable state and so it lends itself well if it had been about something else it might not have worked if it had been a i don't know let's goldfinger for example it probably wouldn't have worked for as well as a first draft but i think it was just this unique moment and i'm certain when they read it and they went yeah this is fine we can publish this you know this wasn't i don't think the publisher looked at that and went well, it's Fleming, it's Bond, it'll sell. Fuck it, let's just publish it anyway. <laughs> I think they looked at that and went, no, this is, this is, I don't think Fleming would have the slightest problem with, 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 with publishing this book as is. And it's, it is to their credit that they did. Yeah, I think it, I think it only got a little bit of touch from a, uh, from a copy editor rather than actually rewrite. Right. I think it was offered to uh, Kingsley Amis to, 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 to do a second draft of it. But I think uh, I, I don't think his suggestions were used. Um, so no, he wrote he wrote Colonel Sun instead. So. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny fun fact on this one. Um, I would probably say out of all the Bond novels, Man with Golden Gun is my most read one uh, because there were my my dad had quite a lot of Bond novels on his bookshelf, and that was one I just kept coming back to because it is such an unusual story but also such a good one as well in there so yeah you can just see the the richness and i'm with graham on this it's such a shame that the uh that the film in itself just honks as badly as it does and i'm sure terry when you were you were thinking of man with the golden gun you were not thinking of the martial arts sequences in man with the golden gun <laughs> by any stretch no, let's, let's not relive our man with a gun gun trauma, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that was quite traumatic. I guess, and yet, 
I was just thinking of the Hong Kong references, and I just felt yeah. I did, and it, yes, and it, and it must be what it, what it was, Graham. Is I was probably actually thinking of the book rather than the film is probably what <laughs> I was doing. But then you've you and you've you've just uh, illustrated that to me quite clearly. Then that was what was in my my uh, my cold adult brain at the time. Mm. Mm. I mean, the other interesting thing that I've took from Man with the Golden Gun, and while I wouldn't say it is as quite as explicit, Terry, you've got you've got a villain here who probably. You know, could be an Ertzatz Scaramanga, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, that Scaramanga. I think that um, Javier Bardem could have easily have played a Scaramanga character. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day in a happier, they they will do that. I was just saying to you guys, I, I was while I was watching Man with the Golden Gun. I know we are still talking about Skyfall, by the way. We're just <laughs> saying Man with the Golden Gun a lot. That's all. But we are talking about Skyfall. Um, <laughs> I was watching. I thought. Man, like they should just re- re- remake this film. Um, they should what they should do is re- re- remake the film. They should retell the Man with the Golden Gun story, and they should just call it Scaramanga. That's how they should reboot this franchise. You know, they should just like have it do what they like with Goldfinger. Just have it maybe a little bit more villain-led. You know, have the villain's name in the movie, and then maybe just like reboot the franchise. If they're going to reboot the franchise, then do it that way. And let's have let's have the Man with the Golden Gun movie that I think we all as Bond fans deserve, and certainly that the novel deserves. Mm. Yeah, Graham. It's um, again just sticking with villainry in here. Um, you know, a lot of <clears throat> I have some thoughts on Silver, um, but it's uh, there's no doubt that you know as a screen presence and as as an equal of Bond, you know, it contains so many of the uh, the good Bond villain tropes. Um, and then obviously you're handing it over to a, to an Oscar winning actor, really. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, well, the level of acting in this film is incredible. Uh, there is no, I don't think there is a better acted film in the in the whole franchise, but just because of the quality of the cast. Uh, and Javier Bardem is is at the top of that list for me. Uh, the, the 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 mere audaciousness of that of the introduction of him, of him walking to from the lift. To where Bond is tied to a chair it takes a minute and a half. A minute and a half of screen time of him just walking to camera, telling his little story about about his about the little island with the rats and the and the and the oil drums, and which is spellbinding because it's delivered so well. I, I'd love to think that that is first take, because there is a little stumble in it as well, and it's 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 it, it's it's just fine it it just goes with it it just just works with it uh it's not it's not perfect but it's almost perfect because it's imperfect um and and there and it is just yeah it's just it just makes you think wow okay the second half of this is going to be completely different isn't it and and of course it is and and when he's in 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 london faced with with them as well you see you see another side of him as well uh, and then in the closing sequence as well, the the relationship he has with them. This is obviously someone who has quite clearly been deranged. Um, the the poisoning himself with cyanide has done something to him. This is obviously a difficult character anyway, as as M explains. But I think it was interesting as well because I I immediately afterwards I went back and watched a bit, and I watched the opening sequence of. Um, uh, not the opening scene. The the scene with M and 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 Bond from Goldeneye, the Evil Queen of Numbers, 
and 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 I was thinking this is mid nineties. This is about the, the handover stage of of Hong Kong. So this could be contemporous with the with what is going on in in Hong Kong. I also thought whether or not it, um, uh, there is another storyline somewhere, a silver film that comes out that uh, that is that is set in Hong Kong and maybe brings in a few of the characters from uh, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies as well. So who knows that, that, that whole thing of, of Chinese secret agents and things like that. Um, my, my head kind of went, went, went crazy for, 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 for Silver. I, you, you, you kind of want to know more about his backstory. Of course, if you analyse the story, this story too much, you start thinking, well, you know, if he can get bypassed M securities that easily to blow up her office and and hack all her emails. Then, what the hell did he need the hard drive for? Yeah, I, I think, think it's fair to say, say that the story doesn't really is just a, 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 a device. MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. The whole story is a MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no not there's no single MacGuffin plot device. The entire story is just simply this is a this is uh, what's striking about this film, and I think what sets this film apart and genuinely elevates it from the other James Bond films is that more than anything else, this is this the, the humanity of the characters comes out. I think even. I mean, we, we, that's to be a bit unkind to Casino Royale because that is a very, very human film. But it is a romantic melodrama, <laughs> and 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 uh, so. But this this is this is a film about flawed human beings, and there's no and there's no suggestion of cartoonishness about any of the characters of this movie, which is something that I think you can say about earlier iterations of James Bond, oh, is that they're very cartoonish and very flat and yeah, not, not very deep. No, and I think I think a lot of that, that is down to, especially with villains, where they are often um, disfigured in some way to, to make them more villainous. Um, and uh, while he... While Silver does have his his very 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 poorly bleached hair and, and his false teeth, then you suddenly realise the story behind his false teeth is just the the fact that he he his disfigurement is is can be disguised, uh, and his dis- disfigurement is down to 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 well basically M stitching him up. Um, but I think there is also a lot of inhumanity. There's M's in in inhumanity. In yes, this, yeah. in this. And 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 that is what always comes back to haunt her. And as well, she said, "Too many people are dying. This is all my fault." And and, and it's that it takes her that long to realise that you know that the, there are there the, there are consequences for her actions. But as she said, regret is unprofessional. Yeah, there's an interesting leading on from that. And when we talk about inhumanity, there's a moment in the in the film where I think the entire movie's humanity checks out, and I think that that's the execution of Severin. And I think that the manner with which that is... The, I mean, as Bond fans, we are used to misogyny and we are used to... I mean, that was another thing that reminded me of Man with the Golden Gum because I felt Severin... I, I mean, I, I linked Severin with with Andrea Anders as well in, in, in Man with the Golden Gun yeah. and thought that she was treated... She was, you know, abused and raped and coerced and, and, and then finally, you know, murdered and humiliated. And and this is what happened to, to, to Severin, really. This has been Severin's story. But I felt tonally the manner with which that that sequence ended the capture of silver you know and that triumphalism with which you weren't there i just felt we're not learning any we're not we're not really being told much here. i don't know what to make of that 
And I would I, that checked me out quite severely most recently. I disliked that moment. You know, I, I can I can understand and accept to an extent, you know, in universe uh, violence against women when when there are clear messages coming from that about the consequences about that, that what that means i never got that from that and i got there was a real odd ambiguity almost celebration about that that moment and i didn't enjoy it and it did check me out for a little bit but you know only for a, for a little bit i don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on that but i maybe i am i overreacting i go i guess it's the thing no, not at all. And I, I, it's the one thing I remember from watching the film the first time out was that um, I remember being quite shocked by the death of Seferin. Um, and in a way that I'm not normally shocked by Bond. Um, and that was just, it was spectacularly brutal and callous for, for a character, even for Bond, which has a high level of misogyny. I remember I think I kind of felt like the first time out, um, which is probably why I don't quite have that reaction as much now, because I know it's coming. And, you know, I I know it's probably one of the more problematic elements of, of this particular film. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. I felt that it was a it, it felt like it, they didn't really know where to go with her character. So they just disposed of her. And that's a shame because I thought she was a very interesting character, one who I think deserved a lot more screen time potentially. But obviously, that you know, re- really the Bond girl in this is is Judy Dench because she's the one who's got the reference in there. But yeah, it, it, I mean, Bond has a habit of knocking off um, female protagonists in some quite unpleasant manner. But I don't think there's necessarily been one that's quite in this level of just coldness. Um, then you know some are, are unpleasant some are just badly written in but this is just just was cold really really cold and yeah it, it still bothers me a little bit it's one there, there's two tonal bits in the film and this is one where i i have a very similar reaction my other one is is towards the end which i think we will get to sooner rather than later um graham i mean in terms of of your side like terry has obviously said he's he's downgraded a little bit mine's interesting because i remember i remember loving skyfall at first and then a lot of the uh, even the bits that we've picked up the MacGuffin, um the fact that it, it's you know there is a slightly wafer thin plot in here let's let's say um and i'm pretty sure that if you'd given you know partly if you've given the the uh, the title of the song to adele you should be like what's this? great up for doing bond film what's the film called mcguffin <laughs> christ hey, what are you what are you giving me here to work with it um look, there's a lot that i actually can can pick apart more than i i thought i would do in skyfall um and certainly it's, it's kind of been my feeling towards the film over the last you know in the the 11 years since it was released i've kind of picked at it a bit and and picked at bits i don't like but then watching this back again with the critical i actually went no it it hangs together as a very watchable enjoyable film so i i get it. i kind of reappraised a little bit upwards where have you you know you said that you've you've watched it a lot there's you know there's bits mm. that we can pick at do the pickings at, and, and do the, some of those elements do anything for you in, in a negative way or you know having seen it an awful lot are you you still like yep i i enjoy it a lot and actually i can 
I can live with uh, the the excessive MacGuffin and various other elements that we might view as a bit iffy, potentially in the hands of a lesser director. Uh, I I think though those elements actually make it more of a Bond film for me. Um, so I think that makes it a lot more a lot more comfortable for me. I think like when you've got things like if you compare it to Casino Royale, because I think because that's the film that we have to compare it to as far as the the Craig era is concerned, because these are clearly the two best of his era. And I don't I don't think the any rewatch has made me think any differently. Um, I'm just just finding it as I go as the years go by that Casino Royale is just edging away at the top of my favourite one of his films. Um and I know I've I've I was on a I was on a, a podcast quite quite recently sort of talking about how the order of which the the the, the uh the, the films should should probably go. Um uh, but uh, for me, it, it, it's it's moving away. It's moving away. I think probably at, at one stage, Skyfall was for me the, the, my favourite one of them. But now it's not. It's gone back to Casino Royale because I think that that just film is just feels so um, complete to me. Even though it, it it's it's the first part of a what's a what's a five part trilogy. <laughs> but yeah, so it. it um, and I, so I think you know it. It is brilliant. It is a brilliant film. It's just not up there with the the really really best of the of of the franchise. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, if if someone said said to me this is my favourite Bond film, I wouldn't say, mm, really. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't look at them askance. I would I would say, yeah, that's that's a perfectly valid choice. Yeah, you know, it's it's when people come up to me and say Thunderball is their is their favourite film. Just get out of town. Just 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 don't bother. What are you doing? I've got a I've got a special mission for you, <laughs> Thunderball fan. <laughs> Just send them off to go and <laughs> kill the head of the Chinese Secret Service or something like that. <laughs> I actually have one of one person I worked with who I think actually may listen uh, to the side. I'm not sure, but um, named uh, for your eyes only as his favourite Bond. Wow, which I've always thought is a fascinating take on where to come from. I I, I get you know I've got more love for that film than I think I I used to, but. It's still a it's still a fascinating uh, one to pick as your favourite. Mm, probably got a thing for crossbows. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> you should watch Wild Geese. There's, uh, there's one in there. So. I mean, a lot of this stuff is tied to emotion, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's sort of like where you are yeah, yeah, when you're yeah. watching them. So, and and it, it is, and that's and it's the same goes with with Thunderball fans as well. To be fair, so before we before we send them off to their deaths. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, before we send them off to their to their really quite sort of like you know, nondescript deaths. <laughs> yes, yes, in a two CV. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a perspex screen between between me and, and Thunderball. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, as I said, as as I mentioned, I really enjoyed the film hugely. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and, to be honest, I would if somebody had proposed to me a spin-off that was just like the adventures of uh, Milos Colombo, I would <laughs> I would be totally down for that. Totally down for that. I, I would have 
Yeah, I mean, and with just occasional cameos of Bond in. Hell yes, I would have watched that as a spin-off series all day long in there. But uh, yes, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, we This is not a podcast about VRIs only either. We've done one of those. We've also done uh, from Man with a Golden Gun as well. But um, Terry, so let's, uh, one of... Well, we're kind of in the, the do we like it, do we not, and there's bits up and down. And, and I'm with Graham. I wouldn't if somebody told me this was their favourite film, I would also go. You, you've made a valid choice here. It's not one that I would necessarily agree with. Like Graham, I've had other ones which I think the gap over time has pulled away from. Um, and still rewatching it again for me, my hardest bit is the when you start getting into the final sequence at Skyfall shot beautifully but i still can't get over going okay so you know you've taken your source from man with the golden gun which is great you've picked out so many other bits of you know you can tell that you've gone back through you've got your bond law and then somebody somewhere has come in and gone you know it'd be really great for the uh for the final sequences bond does home alone (laughs) (laughs) and and that's that's still my main take out from it. It's still, it's fun. It's well done, but there's something that just seems to me to just shift a little bit. And there is that it's probably, if we talk about um, the point of jumping the shark in this movie for me, Terry, it is, uh, it's the point of, uh, I, I don't think like flying a helicopter to a remote Scottish uh, location to assassinate somebody necessarily has quite the ring as jumping a shark. But at that point, we've kind of really gone beyond the, well, you know, obviously there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, as we've said, but I, I, I don't. I, I enjoy it, but I still struggle with it. And I think this is for me why I, I really struggle to place it as a film that I desperately love and, and think it is is a fantastic film. Um uh, it's great up until that point. It, it's almost a reverse die another day where the, the first call, first third is, is amazing. And then you start going downhill badly. This one's strong all the way through. It, rede- it still keeps going. I'm still, still okay. I still enjoy watching it, but I, I'm not, I'm not in love with the final sequence of Skyfall. I know that many people are, but not for me, Clive, if anything, they've probably shot that a little too well. <laughs> so, so the motivations behind the silver's desire to look M in the eye and uh, to 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 kill her are, are are a little clearer to us by the fact that he's prepared to turn London upside down um, and go to extreme theatrical lengths uh, in order to achieve this hitting people with tube trains and stuff like that you know uh, I mean and all that and by the way all that I really enjoy that London sequence that that chase sequence the tube trains i love an underground so and bond in the underground love it all a big big fan of that and i love the select committee sequence and i at the same time i really enjoyed um mallory's character arc through this film as well and, yeah. and i i found his, his sort of heroism you know in that moment to be to be spot on and it was only dawning on me then i thought this guy could be the next M, I suppose, couldn't he? And it, it, that, that point. So that was that was all good, but so it establishes the the justif- justification for why Silver is going to such lengths to then travel in a helicopter all the way up to the Highlands, um, to 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 do this almost certainly, presumably knowing that he's being led into a trap because I mean 
he's not really put a foot wrong in this in 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 this caper so far beyond the fact that he's failed in his ultimate goal but the one of the flaws i think of the film um is that i have difficulty buying silver's desire to to kill M in the way that he so specifically wants to do, that he's prepared to go to such lengths to do so. It stretches the credibility just a little bit too far for me, personally. I, I, I'm perfectly happy to for people to say, no, no problem, I'm quite, I, I buy into that. And I've watched plenty of movies where people have been similarly motivated to do ludicrous things, just for the purposes of entertaining an audience. <clears throat> but but in a, in a movie that is so human, um uh, and and has and 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 has an authenticity um behind it as a consequence i did it just stretches it just a little bit but i mean no more i mean really that's as much as i'm prepared to say or go on that i mean that that i don't think that's what, as for the sequence it's so that first that final act is a bit flat um and got flatter partly it's your fault gary because uh, i didn't i've never seen home alone Okay, I'm a grown man. I've never seen Home Alone. Okay, um, and, and so, so I, I, um, and 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 so I'm, I must confess though, when I saw it, I think when I see it, I think of the A Team. So we're on the same kind of lines, I think here. I think, and I have watched an awful lot of A Team episodes because I'm actually a child. Um, but uh, so, so uh, I, I I think about that quite a lot. Uh, during that that sequence, I, I'm not digging Kincaid as a character. I never, I, I wasn't that all sort of like the, oh look, and then there's some mysterious man who's there to help to lend a hand. It all just felt a little bit contrived um, and put together, albeit beautifully, beautifully rendered um, and a wonderful piece of art, and not lacking in drama. And the final, final moments of the of the climax of that sequence are are moving. Um, and 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 I were, and I continue to be moved by that, and it does kind of rescue that scene. But but yeah, the film just goes and it's just, it's just so weird, Graham, because the the photography, the, that film is that that's whole real that, that third act is beautifully beautifully shot. It's a beautiful mm. film. Yeah. But but for me, just I'm just substantially just a bit lacking. Mm, yeah. Um. I, the, Albert Finney's role there. I mean. I wondered if they were thinking maybe we could get Sean Connery out of retirement for this. Mm. They did does mm. smack about that, but I thought Albert Finney got on there and said, uh, "Really, just to say, you know, they should have made me Dumbledore." That's, that's... <laughs> yeah, and your you know Harry what? Potter intervention hasn't helped my opinion of that sequence either. Now, <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of, of course it's over the top, but I, I suppose really you, you, we, we we had quite a, a, it wasn't low key, it was very tense, but except a very very human ending to Casino Royale. Um, uh, of course, you've got that the the, the bit in Venice where where the where the palace um, sinks into the, into the, the canal, but that's that's almost it, it, it's almost quite. I know, but I fail. I, I'm going to stall uh, myself here before I say it seems realistic, but uh, it, it does seem almost relatable. Um, 
but <laughs> the, the 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 exploding the exploding gas bomb hotel um, in in Quantum of Solace. <laughs> um, you know, yes, yes, I, I don't see any any safety problems here. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Bolivian health and safety is isn't probably that great. Just make sure there's enough axes around, then everything will be fine. Um, uh, so I, I suppose it's in keeping. I suppose it's like like big big finales, um, and this is what Bond films are, isn't it? It's like just any excuse to have a big uh, exploding exploding house at the end. It's it, it, I, I I I can deal with it. I think I think it, it's the, a lot of the, the, there's a bit of Kubrick that 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 is seeping into into Mendes's work here, and obviously I think you know having the uh, the helicopter with the with the big PA system on it. I think it's. it's it, it, that, that, that's probably perhaps a, a little bit of a harken back. You know. Add a little bit of, of apocalypse now to Highland Scotland. Why not? <laughs> which is funny because when I saw that, I just thought of Predator, which tells you where I am when it comes to my movie taste. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe that's where Mendes was as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, yeah if, if, if she bleeds, we can kill her. <laughs> and just to be clear, so the the, the collapsing um, uh, building in Venice is a metaphor for for the destruction of the old Bond and then, and then the re- and the gradual emergence of the new Bond. And in Quantum of Solace, the destruction of the gas bomb hotel is a metaphor for this is a pretty awful film, and we don't really know how to end it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And to give you an idea where my head was at with the with the helicopters coming in, um, my point of reference there was uh, was Hey Dougie, the uh, well known kids TV show, which they actually did a, a their own take on Apocalypse Now um, in there, which is is a very bizarre thing to say. It's a fantastic episode that um, you know, as obviously having a a young child, I've watched that. Yeah, you know, she's she's a bit beyond Hey Dougie now, but I've watched that many a time. Um, and yeah, when when your frame of reference is a um, is a child's cartoon that has somehow managed to do it a little bit better than Sam Mendes has, has managed, even with it, all the beautiful cinematography and everything else, that's when I know that it's probably that's why it's not up there with the top sets of films for me. Um, I just yeah, I, my my mind defaults to somewhere that that probably is not really where he's hoping to go to that said i agree the the ending is is super emotional it's um you know it's it, it there's so much that's kind of real beauty about this film um and then some things which we're we're not so keen on and you know ultimately i think this graham for for me is a film where you look in the eras and it's normally the third film in where the actor has really, really got comfortable within the role. Uh, we won't necessarily mention World Is Not Enough because that was just a, a honker of a film as well. But when you look at, um, you know, you've got Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me, um, and they are well loved for very good reasons. They've kind of done something here because you've got, Craig knows what he's doing. The cast around that we're doing, and you've just got somebody very good overseeing it all. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, this the it, it does give you that. I mean, but then again, for 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 all those, those ones, the third third films there are bangers, but maybe not for some people the the best one of those actors uh, run. Um, not for me, anyway. So, for me, 
you know, you look at Connery, Goldfinger, the third, third one, but uh, from Russia with Love for me is the is is the more enjoyable film. It's, it's the the better film out there. And of course, with more, well, we, we, we can, we, well, yeah, we've already had a lot of conversations. I think, but for me, Spy Love Me is, is more is, best is film. Is the best one, yeah, yeah, it is best actually. Yeah. yeah, not Moonraker. No, 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 no definitely. <laughs> I, I think I've been consistent on that. Yeah. Moonraker, but people, Moonraker gets a bad rap, and I have been paid handsomely to to <laughs> convince people that it's no, not. Moon, <laughs> Moonraker is purely a remake of of uh, Spy Love yes. Me, isn't it? Really, that's yeah. that's what it is, and and it's more yeah. of the same. And and no one here should ever complain about more of the same for 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 that. Um, but. Yeah, it's also, sorry. if I may, sorry, it's a, it's a, because it is a minor reboot as well, and that's where it's maybe a little bit giant because it's a minor reboot of a reboot because the reboot, the franchise is reboot in Casino Royale, but the character I think is rebooted a lot. You know, there's there's change and transition going on here in this film, um, and, and 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 you know, Bond is killed, comes back from the dead, and then has to re- re- restore his body and soul. Um, in a in the only way he knows how while doing that so and then he's and then he's battle ready by the end of the film so it feels like it's a bit of a of a, of a reboot and that's what felt quite odd about it. I thought well we just done this a couple of movies ago and yeah. we're doing it again now I'm not complaining I'm just, no, it's no. just an observation so, so it, and that, that's that's the problem with the whole arc because you don't get the middle bit you get the beginning no. bit where he is he becomes Bond and then you jump straight to the end where he's washed up and he's at, at, at the end of his career. Yeah. There is no middle bit. There is no sort of like um, Bond going off having great adventures. But I suppose that's mm. that's the story, isn't it? That's the that's that's the the well. You've had twenty odd other films of that. Then. We have. So, had, yeah. so as a, Bond as an anthology, as, yeah. as, it basically yeah, it's been all the way up to Casino Royale. Bond has been an anthology series. So yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, we can't complain. Yeah. The only thing I guess, I mean, when we've discussed this, Graham, I, yeah, I'm sure yeah, we're going yeah. the end, the very end of the film, you know, in, in M's office with the oak panels and, and, and the clear nod to the old school, old school James Bond films. And, and at the end of that, I just thought, this is brilliant. So this, if this is how it's going to be, if Spectre's going to be, or the next film is going to be like this, it's, going to, it's like, yes, back to normal, back to missions. What do you know about Elon Musk, 007? <laughs> and, 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 and all of that. Born and I just thought, yes, just give me the hook that to my veins. And of course, we didn't get that. That's not Skyfall's fault, obviously. No. But, uh, but I was so excited at the end of watching Skyfall because I felt, oh, they're setting things up to sort of like go back to normal rather than this kind of, you know, sort of like, you know, yeah. hokey emotional stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very shallow of me, I admit. But, you know, and I know, you know, anyway. But uh... <laughs> I, I view uh, Skyfall as uh, you know, obviously slightly different times. But Skyfall is the uh, is the Ragnarok to uh, Spectre's Love and Thunder. I think uh, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah. similar similar vibes on both of them. You both think this is, next one's going to be brilliant, and then <laughs> oh, oh no, no. Yeah. yeah, oh no, <laughs> yes. You this is what happens when you go okay, Ota, <laughs> off you go and make the film you re- oh the film you really want isn't, isn't, isn't really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, we've. We've gone through so much into there. There's, there's, there's lots we want. Um, very briefly as well, I feel that we need to touch before we, we wrap up, Terry. Um, Judy Dench, obviously. Um, this is as much her film as it is Daniel Craig's film and, and Javier Bardem's film. 
yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was I, I really enjoyed and appreciated the scene between Mallory and M, where Mallory is basically trying to gracefully fire her. Uh, and we don't really, I mean, it's unusual for us to sort of like see isolated M scenes in Bond films. I mean, they have happened before. The World is Not Enough is a heavy M film. And that's one of the reasons why I think it tricked us into thinking it was quite good when in fact it, it, it wasn't. Um, but this, 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 is, this is the, and it's my fault. It's entirely my fault. I, I can go no, that. it's yeah, entirely the fault of <laughs> Sophie Marceau and Judi Dench actually being good on screen for about five minutes together. Yes. And that's yeah. what sticks in your mind. And it's you're it. like, this is great. Oh, yeah, no, there's loads of other shit that went on around it. But Sophie Marceau and Judy Dench for those five minutes is, is amazing. We're glorious. Yeah, we're glorious. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and yeah, I mean, the realisation, I mean, of of her, mis- if you like misdeeds, or, or, or if you like, basically her past coming to catch up with her. And I felt that there was such weight to that scene, again, the perspex scene with, with, with Silver, uh, where he tells his story. And is allowed to tell his story and then reveals his disfigurement, you know, and, 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 and it is funny, yeah, because it is a nice juxtaposition, isn't it, really? Because for, you know, he covers up his, his, his physical scars, although, albeit he has a misshapen face. Um, but obviously, but he, he, he shows his mental scars are, are, are present at all times through this film, which, which is also very clever and elevates the film as, as well, it should be said. But I really liked when M um, said, uh, spoke to Bond afterwards and was candid with Bond in a very M way. You know, no additional sentimentality to it, but quite explained what happened with Silver as far as you can see it. He was a great agent, but he, he went off, he went rogue, basically. And so I, I, I gave him up. I got six agents and a peaceful transition. And, and Bond just standing there sort of like, acknowledging and accepting this you know judgment free and you, you you it's beautifully acted that moment because we're we're getting we're getting the relationship between these two the understanding that there is between it's incredibly british um or at least it's a very very clear idea of what british reserve should be where you're being completely direct and about and open about the mistakes that you've made and it's being borne by people around you with fortitude I mean, it's it's absolutely it's horrific Tory Britain, but but it is <laughs> it's 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 making all the right calls, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, getting, it's it, getting all the it, big calls right, isn't it? Yeah, and it works. <laughs> it totally works for me, and I and I massively appreciate that kind of thing as a British person. I massive as an Englishman, I massively appreciate that 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 kind of the the way of delivering that, and it and it stands out for me. And of course, I really enjoy their final moments. You know, oh, I fucked up, haven't I, Bond? I mean, I I mean, I I I like that. We get, I mean, her Tennyson thing could have gone horribly wrong, but doesn't. Um, she obviously, she's working with a master director and a master director is working with a master actor. actor and it, and, it, and, and it, it shows. And it is gratifying that she gets this moment because when she turned up uh, on GoldenEye, you thought, well, she's wasted in this role. <laughs> she's much better. At and clearly everyone understands it. And that's why she gets more and more involved as the franchise develops. And it, it, it's it's really gratifying. The emotional payoff is gr- is gratifying. The emotional payoff in this movie, full stop, is extremely gratifying. And again, that's why it's such a such a good film. It's just, I think I've just been a little bit more aware of its flaws 
than I had. I'd be a little bit less willing to forgive its flaws this latest rewatch. But the subsequent one, I won't have to record a podcast for it afterwards. So it's fine. <laughs> there is, and, and Graham, just to kind of almost finish up a, a little bit, you know, this is, we've, you've talked so much about how human this film is, and there's a lot of talk, and, and you know, Skyfall is a very human film. Um, there's a lot of talk that, you know, humanity and emotion doesn't necessarily come into Bond. But I, I'd say that when Bond decides to go into that territory, which it does every now and then, it actually ends up in a pretty good place when you, you kind of think about it. You've got, you know, the likes of Honor Majesty's Secret Surface, which is, you know, clearly there's been a bit of watching of that by Sam Mendes as well into here but even a film like License to Kill where Bond has got a lot more emotion on and it you know yes it's a stereotypical 80s revenge thriller but th there's a bit more humanity in there than than in some of the other Bonds um I, I'd actually argue it's when they get it right it's no bad thing at all um to really open it up without opening too much up no. until we get to the day yeah yeah, sure. But I think I think that, that this is purely down to the strength of the cast and not just the top level cast. It's all the way through. And I, I wonder if, as this was Judi Dench's last film, I, I wonder if, because she's such a big Shakespeare fan, I wonder when does, whether she had a say in the casting because it's it's a bit like that, that David Mitchell peep show meme, you know, four Hamlets, Judy, four Hamlets. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they they bring in they, there are four Hamlets four four actors who have played Hamlet on the London stage are in this film, and one of them isn't <laughs> Daniel Craig. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, he's the only he's one of them that that hasn't. So been. who are they, Graham? I don't know. Tell, Tell me who they are. are. You have got uh, Albert Finney uh, in the nineteen seventies uh, um, National Theatre production. Uh, you have got Rory Kinnear was also National Theatre. Um, uh, about 2010, I think that was. Uh, you've got Ray Fiennes. Uh, he did it in the 90s. I think he did it straight after Schindler's List. Uh, and you've got Ben Whishaw. Um, did one at the Old Vic in uh, the very early... It was 2004. That was back in the cake days, that was. I can totally... I can see all of those guys. Yeah, Hamlet, yeah, obviously. completely Whishaw different. in particular, just yeah. like, wow. Yeah. We haven't talked about Whishaw. No. And, and we're one, <laughs> one hour and 14 minutes into this podcast and I had to pick up my wife soon. So yeah. we, we're, we're going to, I don't know. <laughs> we've really talked this. Yeah. We've not talked about Q. We're doing Spectre next 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 time. Maybe yeah. we can talk about Q then. Which I actually and, feel is one of Spectre's better points. Yeah. And we can talk about the soundtrack as well. And Thomas Newman, because basically it's the same soundtrack for the for the, for, the, for <laughs> yeah. Spectre. So we can talk about it then. Yeah. Tom, we'd like we'd like another soundtrack. Oh yeah, I've got some old demos. Here. <laughs> it's like Tom. So the soundtrack to Spectre, yeah, love it, great. Um, but when you sent it to me, it, it, it's come in this CD case with Skyfall written on it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up then. I mean, look, I think where we've, we've come to, and I'll, this is one, again, sometimes I'm, I have a feeling I know what the reaction of, of the listener base will be, and sometimes I'm less sure. And I'm genuine, 
I'm genuinely curious to see where this is kind of lands for the um, for those who are really, you know, really into their bond. I could understand to a certain extent why this why people who are perhaps, you know, less enthused about bond as we are or, or kind of dip in or out might well name this one as being one of their their favorites because it is a very accessible bond. I think if you're trying to introduce a bond for the first time to somebody wouldn't be a bad one to, to show them at all but um yeah i mean where terry but you first you know we've done the world cup of bonds we've done everything else and and but you've you've you know recent re-watching many people might well put this in their top five um does it land there does it even land top 10 for you oh yeah certainly top 10 yeah no absolutely there haven't been that many james bond films um yeah i, I mean it, it i think it's top five i still think it's top five um i, I mean i i've I, I, as i said i I've toned down a little bit um, from from the most recent rewatch, but it is a superior film. It is beautifully made. It's beautifully casted. It's beautifully acted. It's even well written. Um, and I, I mean, it, it, it's at, and at times, yeah, as I said, it elevates to 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 to, to a work of art. I mean, the the fact that it's got a paper thin of all of its flaws, the one the paper thin plot is the least of my concerns about it. This is not a. I'm not concerned about the story of this of this this is about the characters my favorite part of the movie is the probably the the, the first act it's actually the, the it's the character beats that, that that i enjoy the most about this film it's it's bond's return to mi5 it's the new digs it, it all of that i really it probably enjoy the most about that because I, I i'm just i just love james bond i love the character so much um and that and, and i mean you know it's it, we didn't. I would just like to pay homage to the Macau scene as well, particularly the entrance scene. I think that that's just beautiful. We talked about briefly the music. The music there is absolutely spot on. That's just like because because they use Adele's theme, <laughs> so that's why it works. But I mean, we, but, but there's 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 just there, there's there's so much richness to this film that it is. I find it as a Bond fan impossible to dislike. Um, and, and and such an easy film to watch. I watched this. I've watched this more than Casino Royale, but would agree with my colleague um, and say that, that Casino Royale is the better film. Um, but uh, but objectively, I think you know. But 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 my goodness, this runs it close. And again, the humanity. It's just wonderful to see such humanity being applied to characters that I have I have known since my childhood, uh, and 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 really been hungry at times during my childhood, during my teenage years to see some more substance to these characters and 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 then to watch that is extremely and immensely gratifying top five definitely top five it, it does i can see it. it slips down like a like a good whiskey but not a it's not a i wouldn't say yeah it's not a 50 year old uh, whatever bond's favorite one is in this one i've completely forgotten that um graham does does this get into the top five for you or um i mean certainly it sounds like uh like uh mrs sibley's uh top would certainly sit within her top five but would you concur uh it, it probably wavers about five or six around there i'd say it's probably just wobbling around there i mean obviously if you think that there are quite a lot of films and there are quite some really good ones up there um i was asked quite recently to do my top five uh bond uh bond films uh, and uh, obviously you've got On the Magic Secret Service, uh, From Russia With Love, Spo, Love Me are all in there. Uh, and 
so it doesn't leave a lot of space in there once you put Casino Royale uh, and whether or not you want Goldfinger up there as well. So it, 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 it getting into top five is not easy for me here. So um, so yeah, so it really catch me on the right day. But obviously, the amount of time I watch it, the, how often I watch it, is indication enough that the fact that I enjoy watching this film. Um, yeah, I could I I could be um, contrary and say, oh well, you know, like, I have to have License to Kill in in, in my top five. I think I don't think honestly. How many times do I watch that film? You know, how often do I watch that film? So yeah, so yeah, so yeah. Mm. I, I would say it, it probably just sneaks into on a good day if I'm feeling yeah. on a good day. Yeah, you never you can just don't know, do you? Because you nah. never know where you are in your moment in your life. Exactly. These things, this franchise exactly. is so long. Yeah. You know, you just don't know where you are right now. It, it's th- th- this is where you are, but like sometimes I, mean, I went through a period of I just completely ignoring and disregarding all the Roger Moore James Bond films because I just thought they were just hokey and stupid. Mm. And now they're among my favourite movies. So you know, things change. People change. People do change. People change. Yeah. I'm going to ask end by asking Terry a very difficult question. Actually, would you, if I placed now, would you rather watch Skyfall or Moonraker? Okay, so um, I am contractually obliged, of course, to say Moonraker <laughs> to maintain c- consistent narrative throughout this 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 film of me being in the pay of Big Bond. Um, this is a mu- this is a much better film than Moonraker. That's what I will say. It doesn't have four Hamlets in it. That's why it hasn't got well for a start. It hasn't <laughs> got four Hamlets in it. But uh, but yeah yeah. <laughs> Moonraker is a wonderful for is a wonderful film for what it is, um, but it, it but Skyfall is not that it's a it's a different kind of film. It is a very different type of film. I, I would uh, for the record, uh, mine mine sort of hovers around about eight or nine. I'd probably say for interesting in terms of uh, top top Bond films. It's it's definitely top ten, but I'm not quite near the top five. When we've done this run, um. I think what we should do afterwards is, you know, before we do the World Cup of train fights, um, we should do, (laughs) because we really, I don't mean a World Cup, but we should definitely do a train fight specific episode. Um, And, but, uh, but um, I wonder whether or not uh, we should perhaps do a ranking because we have not, we've done the World Cup. We should revisit the World Cup of Bond films, but maybe not go through the effort of doing the entire World Cup because that's quite hard work. But maybe is it is it is it worth revisiting, you know, rank and maybe re-ranking and seeing if we've got different conclusions mm. after this process? Do you think? Are, are you talking about a, say, a, a, more like a Confederations Cup of Bond films? Yeah? <laughs> I do, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds like it could be. That could totally work. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, would we have totally different opinions having not got through about three bottles of port before recording? Yeah, that's podcast. a good point. Yeah, I mean, that point. that might have, you know, we, it's now there. It's 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 odd job pod canon. We cannot change it in there, but uh, yeah, you know, and we can wreck on it though. We can totally wreck on it. World Cups World Cups are meant to happen every four or four years, so This yeah. is true. Yeah. This is very true. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, yeah. All right, then that's what we'll do. I mean, are we going as far as Spectre? 
Are we going to finish the set and do No Time to Die as well? I mean, we did talk about No Time to Die, but anyway, these are questions for later. Uh, maybe we should be finishing up. Sorry. Yeah, yes, I'm rambling. yes, indeed. I mean, look, we, we will, um, we'll see where we go, but you know where we're going next, dear listener. You know that we are going into Spectre, and you know, if you've listened to this podcast often enough, you know that there will be a lot of opinions on Spectre. I've got a whole bag full of opinions right next to me that I, I wanted to even bring out into here. But I haven't been able to because this is not a Spectre podcast. Not that that stopped us talking about Man with a Golden Gun. Um, but I, I suspect that both uh, both Graham and Terry have huge, huge cupboards full of opinions on Spectre to bring forth. Um, until then, though, you can follow us on, on all the various social medias that maybe have or haven't been dis- destroyed by the pound shop Hank Scorpio. I don't know. They, they might be alive. They might not. Who knows at the moment? But if we're if you're on a social network look us up we might well be on there if you don't already follow us uh let us know where does skyfall fall into your uh yours there are you are you a lower down but comfortable top 10 like me or are you somebody who who really kind of puts it towards the top one two or three um you know a bit very very interesting question on them you know obviously it's sparked in the rankings onto here and who knows we may even do a world cup of bonds where it hasn't been uh a three bottles of port plus various other alcohol in before we opt to do that although that said i'm now quite craving a nice bottle of port from porto which does not appear in australia at all very hard to get a good port over here so you know uh, your hopes and prayers are with me at this point in time until then goodbye from me uh, and goodbye from the team and uh, we will see you next time for spectre with probably a bit of action movie landfill in between so goodbye goodbye goodbye